Welcome to The Moon in Your Mind with your hosts, Chelsea Winter and Alyssa Ray. We are on a mission to build a community of empowered individuals to stay curious in their work, their relationships, and daily lives. By interviewing experts and uniting astrology and psychology, we will hold the space to connect you to new wisdom, unique stories, and insightful resources for you to cultivate your best human experience. Let's get curious. Oh my gosh, what a great episode with Mira today. We I just know. finished recording. I feel like I'm speechless just based on my mind is going a million miles a minute just in all of the different avenues, aspects, directions. None of that is what I want to say, but like perspective, I guess, and so many things that we've talked about, but it's just in a different way, which is mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah, and I felt like at least like on the astrology side, like we went so deep. I feel mm-hmm. like we haven't ever really like gone that deep before, like on a soul level of astrology. Yes. So that was fun. I agree. I agree. I think you all are going to love it. So buckle in for a wild ride. You guys, we are so excited to share with you our newest offering, the Cosmic Consulting Program. We're combining Chelsea's wisdom of astrology and my background in somatic psychology to support you in finding more authentic alignment and embodiment in your life. As your cosmic consultants, we will provide you with a juicy natal chart reading, a consultation session with both Chelsea and myself, as well as a nourishing somatic coaching session with me. And if you want to go even deeper, we're offering two add-ons that you can choose from, a personalized journal or a personalized meditation crafted by Chelsea and myself based on your chart, consultation, and coaching session to continue diving deeper into the work. Or you can choose both. Ready to begin? Shoot me an email at alyssa at themooninyourmind.com and we'll schedule a consult. We can't wait to support you on your journey. Hi, everyone. Today, we are joined by Mira Taylor of Moon and Rune. Mira is a spirituality, integrative therapist, organizational wellness consultant, and subconscious medium who focuses on guiding clientele toward a more approachable and practical sense of wellness by combining concepts of psychology, spirituality, philosophy, and sustainable living practices. Welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, uh, you know, I saw your podcast online and it felt like just such a perfect alignment for the kind of things that I that I talk about and that I study and that I evolve conceptually as a part of my work through my work through Moon and Rune on a daily basis, but also just a part of my spiritual work uh, in this lifetime. So very excited for the conversation. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. And so we typically start with a little mini reading, but since you are very familiar with your chart and even just before we were recording, you had some fascinating things to say. I'm going to kind of let you take it away and talk about, you know, your Cancer Sun, Scorpio Moon, you know, how that affected you growing up, how it showed up in your life, and then your journey on how you are really embodying the entire Zodiac now as an adult. So I wasn't really consciously aware of why I was born into the cancer sign until later in life, which is kind of a reality that there was a lot of healing of the maternal nature for me internally, but also sort of on that concept of like the ripple effect, like through time and space and consciousness that occurs when we make those sort of healings within ourselves, within our own, you know, transcendent souls as as multidimensional beings that, you know, as a child, I 
had a mom who, you know, had also not had necessarily the best relationship or most maternal relationship with her mother. And so, you know, we kind of had a dynamic that was maybe a little bit better, but, you know, somewhat similar. And that there was also a lot of that ego construct that I understood as I actually mothered myself a lot emotionally. And so I appreciated that as a nature of why I was born into that, that sign. One of the interesting things about the cancer sign is that it is considered the mother of the zodiac. And it's all about like its I statement, as far as the principalities of the zodiac is I nurture. As I got older, I had some revelations as far as what it means to be a cusp sign, which is basically someone who lives, you know, that the signs of zodiac signs are not so rigid. And that there's like a fluid nature to the way that cancer moves into Leo or that Leo and Virgo coincide with each other. And so later in life, I realized that I kind of definitely, you know, I would read what the personality traits were for Leo and it was like complete resonance. And I understood even just based on my chart that that was something that was very present for me. And that this sort of later then became an awareness of, you know, that Leo is considered the father or the sun sign. And, you know, cancer, the moon, the mother sign, and that that sort of monster pots are nature in me is what later through some of the sacred texts that I've worked with kind of revealed as that androgynous, original non-binary nature of God and the universal process as mind. And so I really started kind of working with that concept and owning that I was intended to evolve away from like the given ego construct that was sort of my ego construct programming in life. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like we're, we're born into those ego constructs, zodiac signs included for a reason, but that I learned along the way that like, okay, we're intended to evolve those. So from there, whether or not I found the information and the information found me, I came across something called the, uh, the 12 principles of astrology, which was written by basically an unnamed philosopher. It's credited to someone named Tonson Hopman. But, it, you know, this was clearly something that was kind of created during one of the Enlightenment eras. And it provides a chart that basically breaks down the universal principles of each of the signs into I statements. And so as I worked through the chart, I realized, okay, well, these are all just principles that are present in all of us. And that if we like kind of really own the hermetic philosophy of as above, so below, we should understand that. The universe, like the whole universe is in us, just as the whole universe is outside of us, which means, okay, how could I not be these things? They must all be in me in some way. So as I work through the chart, you know, for example, Sagittarius's statement is, I believe Scorpio's is I penetrate, which, you know, as being my, my moon sign is something that, you know, I can be very consciously penetrating in a reflective way, which has a lot to do kind of archetypally with you know, the moon and the reflective natures of that, that I can be sort of a penetrating force in a maternal way that, that, you know, that it corresponds to my, to my cancer sign in that way. Again, just to give examples, Libra, I love Virgo, I analyze, you know, these are all examples basically of the ego construct lessons that we're supposed to learn from being born into them. So I originally needed to learn you know, the reason I ended up finding out about any of these things is that I finally learned that I needed to nurture myself, that I had not done that much in life. And so cancer being the I statement of I nurture was the ego construct lesson for me to stop giving everything away to everyone else and start actually nurturing myself, knowing that like, if I nurture myself, then I project that into 
the reality around me and and others will also learn how to do that basically. But it's just been a very fascinating process. I, I work with my clients on this all the time because people can also get in unhealthy dynamics with that ego construct as far as like using it as an excuse. So people will like kind of see those traits or qualities of, you know, cancer, for example, which the less favorable traits, and we can talk about the perspective of language on that, is that, you know, they have, they can be clingy, they can be manipulative, okay? Manipulative doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. I manipulate my clients' minds all the time for the better, right? They are traditional, that they like privacy, uh, you know, that they kind of have a tendency toward being moody. And so these are all things that, like, for someone can become unhealthy in that they can kind of sit in it and go, well, I'm just that way. Instead of making the conscious effort to actually evolve and change what's like a less healthy expression of yourself, even within the relationship dynamic within yourself, but especially with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I love everything that you just said, but I definitely want to touch on, you know, in on this podcast, like we talk a lot about like the low road and the high road. So that would be another way to frame what you're talking about, those like less favorable traits and just getting stuck, right? It's like, if I hear one more person say like, well, I'm just a Scorpio, so I'm just going to be miserable my whole life and I'm just going to suck the life out of everyone else. Like I'm going to scream because Scorpios have so much power and beauty to them that you don't have to be stuck in these low roads. And I think so much of it is it's easier, right? To kind of be in that low vibration. And so when you hear your astrological like archetype for the first time, you hear about your chart, you learn about your chart, you're like, oh, great. Now I have the excuse I've just been looking for. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important. And I think our audience are people who are constantly working on themselves and looking to better themselves and be that higher vibration, be that high road, you know, and are always looking like, okay, what does this mean? How can I put, you know, a better intention behind it too, I think is so important. You know, like you said, the manipulating, you know, talking about cancer, you know, it's all about intention, right? Like if you're manipulating someone to do something for you because you want something from them, like that's very different than manipulating them in like a therapy session or, you know, in some way where you're trying to help them, you know, I think intention is so important with it. Well, and I talk a lot with my clients about the importance of basically what I've adapted as a concept from NLP, which is wellness linguistics, which is understanding the importance of the language styles we use, but also the belief systems that are subconsciously oriented to a particular word. So for example, okay, cancer under its traits has that it's an emotional sign. Now, depending on the person who's reading that, why is being emotional necessarily a bad thing, right? It doesn't necessarily say that that's an unbeneficial trait, but that there seems to be sort of this subconscious orientation for a lot of people as a dialectal awareness that has a belief system that, oh, it says it's like, it says this is an emotional sign, not like, oh, emotional people, right? Okay. Emotion is what makes the universe go round, right? It is literally energy in motion. So it's just kind of to like, give an important aspect of understanding as to even, you know, you brought up Scorpio, that whole concept of I penetrate. Talk about something that's like inherently uncomfortable for people as an offset. (laughs) Like the first time I read that, I was like, I'm on, like, I admit it, like I'm uncomfortable with the, uh, with the statement I I penetrate. Okay. That's my work to do to appreciate 
why is that uncomfortable? How can I work with that concept in a way that like kind of desexualizes it? And quite honestly, for a lot of Scorpio women, especially, and in the Western world, there's sort of this like difficult paradox of what it means to be like a sensual woman or a sexy woman, because that sign is a very like sexual, more so sensual sign, I would say. And that for the Mm -hmm. woman in the Western world, there's sort of this like back and forth dichotomy of should I, shouldn't I be be this way? And so, you know, for me, it got to the point in place where it was like, well, especially for Scorpio women or just anyone with Scorpio natures in general, it's about learning how to be penetrating in like sort of a more alchemical way that it doesn't always have to be so sexually oriented, but that sensuality as a charisma of the Scorpio sign is something that can be worked with, you know, in a way that is still sensual, but not necessarily overtly sexual that like puts that more feminine nature back into the concept of sensuality and charisma, as opposed to just like that, that more aggressive concept of, of like masculine penetrating concepts that also has to do with language. Basically our belief systems, especially in the Western world and the English spoken language around what a word like penetrate sort of automatically orients to in our mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Scorpio, especially, I mean, Scorpio women, like you've been saying, I think they scare people because they're, you know, especially if you're in your high vibration, you're on that high road of Scorpio and you're really feeling yourself and you are a badass bitch. You like, you know what you're capable of, you know, your power, like that scares everybody else who is not like in line with their values and in line with their beliefs. And I feel like it's really um, threatening to people. And I see it a lot with women, especially. I think that's probably more of a societal thing in the US, but you know, I see it a lot. Just Scorpio women scare the living shit out of some people. <laughs> well, and, and so there's that like semi-famous statement that's gone around recently, which is, I'm not intimidating, you're intimidated. Mm-hmm. I think that is basically the mantra of life for a lot of Scorpio women, also kind yeah. of for a lot of a lot of Leo women, and also for a lot of like Sagittarius women. Those yeah. are all signs that kind of lean toward androgyny anyway. And there's something about that nature that isn't afraid to like be both masculine and feminine in like a simultaneous way that is intimidating to people. One, because they like don't know how to assess you based on Western binary concepts. And so Mm -hmm. that's like all of a sudden something like now you're a threat from an ego level because they can't understand you as easily. And that must mean like, oh, you made me question myself. You're threatening. And we can talk, we could talk about that for hours probably too, as far as like, (laughs) you know, uh, the, the egoisms of the West and why someone who makes you question yourself is like immediately subconsciously uh, considered a threat as opposed to something that's inviting you to like evolve and think differently, mm-hmm. that those are all signs that like kind of force that for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I agree. And I loved what you said too. This is kind of going back about how we have all the signs in us, right? So a lot of people, especially, you know, I do readings and a lot of people who come in, it's their very first time ever really hearing about their signs, sun, moon, rising, you know, any signatures in their charts, like it's all so new. But I do think, you know, you were saying before we started recording, and it was just beautiful about how we really do have all 12 signs in us and how we can really evolve into that. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the other things that's kind of amazing about the chart that I work with is it shows you what your archetypal opposite is. 
So like mm-hmm. for cancer, it is Capricorn, which has everything to do with structure, right? And the mother energy, the maternal energy is usually like as a principal force, the force that sort of structures the environment, right? So like, if you think sort of more so like just to use the metaphor of it, like a mother in a household is usually the structuring force. A leader in business who has maternal energies is usually the structuring force, right? But that that's a nature that, you know, for the cancer woman isn't necessarily something she is understanding if she's just stuck in, or even a cancer man, as an example, just stuck in that concept of, oh, it's just about I nurture, okay? How can you nurture through structure would be one of the ways that I would work with that. So I have like a, a whole basically journal practice that I created for myself and my clients that has to do with basically creating affirmation statements for oneself based on these I statements and also connecting oppositional signs so that they don't feel that there's an like an adversarial nature to them. So they can appreciate that there is a cooperative nature to them. Another one Libra and Aries are opposites. Okay. So Libra's I statement is I love. Aries I statement is I am. And everyone has I am, right? That base Aries is basically the ego for everyone. Because whenever we say I am or ego sum, which is the original Latin for I am, basically saying this is the sum of my ego. So combining an appreciation for those two natures would be okay, how can I love myself as I am? It is basically, you know, how I work with that chart pretty specifically, but with that concept you were talking about of owning each of these natures in us and trying to figure out, okay, you know, do I, do I need more Gemini energy in my life, which is I communicate, like, what is my communication style? The opposite of that being, I believe, right? How do you communicate? How do you use language to shape the belief system structures that are in your subconscious? These are all like, and some of these are sort of the deeper concepts that I work with with myself and my clients that are sort of like the way you move and, and like handle the experience of working with that chart. But it all boils down to that appreciation of, okay, all of this must be inside of me. The entire, like, we know this, we, this is like how nature and the creative process works that, you know, not necessarily to make it secular or religious, but that whole concept, even scientifically, that we are created in God's image or the universe's image is understanding that, okay, there's a reflection of the universe in us. The entirety of that is in us. How can I accept each of these universal principles to make myself a more wholly realized and self-actualized and self-aware person? Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And I'm wondering too, so you have your clients kind of journal on that and, and what other ways or tools do you use to kind of help them embody it in their daily life? Like the aspects that they're missing or the signs that they're missing? Well, so I work with my clients as what I refer to as subconscious mediumship, which is sort of an interesting concept for a lot of people because most people hear the word medium and they're like, oh, you're a psychic. You'll tell me what I'm thinking. And I'm like, well, I'm going to journey through your subconscious. But what I want people to understand is that your subconscious is the part of you that you're unconscious to. So I'm not necessarily the person who's going to sit there and know like, what you're consciously thinking about, but I have a very good idea about what's going on in the like behind the scenes stuff. So a lot of the ways that I work with my clients in that way is that, you know, we may go through the chart 
basically, or I may understand what their more original sign is, and I may look at the oppositional nature of that sign and then sort of maneuver around their subconscious through an empathic attunement to them that helps me appreciate, okay, how are some of these principles expressing as psychopathologies that are connected to like a belief system, for example? You know, how is it correspondent to even belief systems that someone may have at a subconscious level that are religious, having grown up? You know, someone who grew up Islamic and is a Muslim has a very different perspective and subconscious coordination to the zodiac and astrology. And they actually have an entirely different astrology system than someone who grew up in the West as a Christian who understands astrology. And whether or not even there is a sort of duality mindset in them about whether it's okay for them to pursue an understanding of astrology. You know, for, even for some people, there's stuff like that. So this is why I refer to it as spiritually integrative therapy. For me, of course, there's something that's like sort of an irony in that because the root word in psychology is psyche. And psyche is actually a word that means spirit. That was a Latin word that is a Latin word that means spirit. And so Psychology has always been spiritology, uh, whether people wanted to admit it or not, but that that is basically how I would work with someone, you know, in the chart. So someone tells me like, hey, I'm a Virgo. Okay. Well, your I statement is I analyze. Do you overanalyze yourself? Are you learning the lesson of this lifetime to learn how to analyze in a in a healthy and beneficial way, whether it's for yourself or others? Okay, the opposite of that sign being I dream, right? So from a Jungian perspective, the perfect balance for Virgo is dream analysis. That is one of the excellent ways that they can balance their conscious analytical mind with their irrational, more spiritual and imaginal mind. But these are all sort of like, it's basically to help people understand that these are all universal principles, but they're all universal aspects of psyche. One of the other ways that I've worked with this is that there are a lot of personifications throughout mythology and spiritual texts that obviously coordinate to the zodiac signs. You know, we all know that Aries is considered a, uh, a Greek god in Greek mythology, right? And so looking at sort of the inborn appreciations that someone might have as a subconscious coordination to a being like Aries is important, right? Because if, let's say you have belief systems that Aries as a being, because of that personified story, is sort of inherently like the bad guy, How is your ego going to express because of that belief system? Your Aries sign is your ego sign. It's like, it's your expressive nature. So these are sort of important ways to like dissect and work through and reconstruct someone's cognitive architecture, especially their subconscious cognitive architecture to improve the ways that they're interacting with and understanding each of these principles within themselves. That's awesome. And so how did you get into all this? Like, I want to know, like, where, where did your path, like, childhood to young adulthood to now, like, doing all of this and offering these services unravel it all for us? Because I'm very curious. Oh, man, that's a big ball of yarn. Uh, <laughs> so basically, I, I grew up in a household in a very diverse and a very eclectic area uh, of Northern Virginia. I was not forced in any one direction with spirituality, you know, I was very appreciative of that growing up. But I also know that, you know, both sides of my family generationally have like provided me sort of genetic inborn psychopathologies that have been very affected by, you know, particular like lifetimes with particular faith. 
So, you know, on, on my father's side, they tend to be very Christian or Catholic. On my mother's side, my great-grandfather was literally a Christian scientist, right? So, like, yeah. <laughs> 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 Mom. So, you know, <laughs> no offense, Christian, modern, contemporary Christian scientists. It's more of an evolved understanding now. But that, you know, these were things that I understood as being subconsciously presenting for me later in life. But that because of my childhood where I got to grow up and have an experience of like a very open mind toward many different forms of spirituality, you know, everything from Wicca to Christianity to, you know, mythological concepts. Uh, I now currently am going to, you know, taking courses at Harvard Divinity School to study concepts in religious literacy and basically how to adapt or evolve or understand from a more contemporary mindset each of the more major religious texts that that are like the five major religious texts because i understand that that was basically what life was preparing me for interestingly enough i spent a lot of my life basically accepting the sort of collective unconscious concept of the mother sign which is to be subject to the will of others which is bullshit, by the way. That is, it's actually not how that's supposed to be. Okay, there's a paradox and a, and sort of a back and forth to those natures. But you know, as I grew up and got older, I realized like, why am I? Why do I feel like I'm subject to the will of others? I need to be subject to the will of myself. And it basically was not the most fun awakening for me in that it took me getting to a place where I was so giving away of myself to others that I was just incredibly unhappy. And so I basically, in that, ended up quitting a job that a lot of people would have, you know, told you was was very comfortable, but for me was a prison, was terrible and, and went against like all my belief systems. And after that happened, I basically had like, you know, dark night of the soul. We could talk about the uh, dialectal arrangement of, of dark and light not being so appropriate either. But that I went very inward and kind of and like had a massive ego rebirth. I was someone who was like moving into the concepts of marketing. I did a lot of marketing as a part of my old job. That was actually something that basically as an artistic and spiritually minded person, as a more irrationally minded person was something I was geared toward because that's what everyone told me was the only way I could make money. And I'm not unhappy for it. You know, a lot of my revelations have been that everything I experienced in life, I chose to experience for a higher purpose and that that's, you know, that it was all important, but that while I was learning about psychology through marketing, I realized like, okay, this, I don't like this manipulation because psychology and marketing is all about mental manipulation. And obviously, you know, mental manipulation is emotional manipulation. And so it was definitely something that was, a space or home for my my most original sign, but that I didn't feel comfortable doing it. It didn't feel spiritually nourishing, which is an important part of my ego construct lesson with that sign. And it didn't feel like morally correct. But then I also understood that I had to learn about the ways that psychology can be used in those ways to help others sort of deconstruct some of the more subliminal belief systems that are sort of like exploitatively programmed into them, especially in the Western world through, you know, all of the programming and marketing that we're exposed to on a constant basis. So I basically sat with myself after I quit that job for a long time and, and went inside of myself and was like, these are my skill sets. 
this is how I've been using them. I don't like that. It doesn't feel moral. It doesn't feel enjoyable. What can I do with them? What would I rather do with them? What feels like the healthy, beneficial way I could work with these traits and behaviors that would feel wealthy and nourishing to me so that I know that they'll feel wealthy and nourishing to others? And that is basically how Moon and Rune was born. It also was, you know, a lot of process of me realizing like, okay, this is, I'm going to have to be highly self-inventive with this as a business because it kind of didn't exist yet as an industry. And then I had to accept, okay, I'm going to be mothering this type of business into an industry that really doesn't, you know, have many of these sort of entities of business in, in that realm yet, as far as like true integration and appreciation of spirituality and psychology as one and how inherently integrated they are for every individual person on the planet that, you know, seeks therapy. I did therapy on my own for myself. And that was the thing that kind of really felt like, you know, was missing for me. And that, that was a large part of what shaped my business too, was asking myself, okay, I've done therapy. You know, it was helpful to a certain extent, but what felt like, you know, the thing that wasn't, wasn't keeping me going with it, basically. So that's the big ball of yarn. We can all ravel it back up now or, or knit a scarf with it, whatever you want. Um, <laughs> for as short as I could make it, that is basically the journey of self that I took to understanding the importance of self-actualization and why it's so psychologically important for every single person to have a self-identity that has what feels like a divine purpose for being, you know, or a higher purpose for being like, why are you doing what you do? How is it serving the planet? How is it serving you? How is it changing the world? Because of the way you're it's changing yourself. Like, these are also all things that I, you know, went through as processes for myself, but that I also work with my clients pretty specifically on. Incredible. I love it. Thank you for unpacking all of that for us. And I'm wondering too, you know, where, like, what are some of the things that your clients seek you out for and how do you unravel that for them too? That's a big question too, but. <laughs> well, it, it really runs the gamut. You know, I offer a lot of different types of therapy and it's never something where like, there's a list on my website of the types of, of different approaches that I use in, in my sessions, but that basically, you know, it's appreciating or understanding that sometimes the client needs talk therapy. And sometimes we're like diving into your subconscious and figuring out how to like, you know, understand if you define, like if you hear the word success and define yourself into success or what the word wealth means to you and how we can re reshape that as a part of your cognitive architecture. You know, so it really runs the gamut. But in that, I have found that a lot of people start therapy with me and the first focus is finding a focus and that there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, every time I do an initial consultation, there are like some basic questions that I ask everyone just to understand their basis. You know, but that the other thing a lot of people will come to me for is to get a new relationship or to heal a relationship with therapy that they or, or religion that they may have already had. So, you know, when someone has gone to therapy, you know, for example, our generation of kids, unfortunately, a lot of our generation grew up as kids who had a first experience of therapy because of the divorce rate as being forced mm -hmm. and as being something that basically was, you know, psychologically sort of traumatic because it was all about which parent you were going to end up with. So it's an unfortunate statistic, but it's a very real one, right? Uh, or, you know, the parent basically forced them 
to go to therapy because a teacher said there was like something wrong with them or et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, you know, some of it is about healing existing relationships with therapy or spirituality. Some of it is about understanding how those perspectives have a lot of it is about say, helping them understand how those perspectives have shaped the perspective of self in either an unhealthy or healthy way and how we can change or manipulate those perspectives, right? So, you know, even simple exercises, one of the first things I'll ask people is just to start building self-awareness is, okay, when you look in the mirror for the first, like when you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, what are the first thoughts you think? For a lot of us, thoughts happen when we're looking at the mirror, but there isn't necessarily like a conscious awareness of whether those thoughts are kind or unkind. Another thing that I really work with people on is how your standards for yourself may differ from the standards you have for others and how to work with like dialects and wellness linguistics and and affirmations to get yourself to a place where you're appreciating that you deserve to have the same standards for yourself as you do for others. A lot of us are like way unkinder to ourselves than we would ever be to another human being. You know, if if you took a recording device somehow and recorded what your thoughts were in your mind and then listened back and asked yourself, would I ever say this to another human being? The answer is like for a lot of that stuff is no. Mm-hmm. But one of the other big kind of eureka moments for people that I work with that goes into, you know, talk therapy and also just beliefs, systems and understandings is that just because a thought happens in your mind, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's your thought. You know, there's sort of this egoic concept for us as human beings that, oh, it happened in here. It happened in my mind. It must be my thought, as opposed to just that we are conscious receivers for consciousness as a whole that moves and flows on the earth. And and we receive information that way, you know, just as data moves through your phone. Okay. Consciousness moves through your, through your body and your mind. And that there are like, that we can have choice points with that that it doesn't necessarily have to mean that that's your thought. Another thing that comes along with this is identifying narratives or belief systems that aren't your own, that are integrated from like a parent or a teacher or a faith that you followed. And whether or not those are healthy belief system constructs, or if they're ones that can kind of like be deconstructed and reconstructed or just kind of done away with completely sometimes. I love that. And on that too, I something that's coming up for me as you speak is kind of the difference, if you see any, between religion and spirituality and how you kind of explore that. Because a lot of my clients talk about that on a very minor level of like, well, I was religious, but I think I'm just more spiritual now, right? But they're kind of one and the same to a degree. But again, it, it it's based on the foundation and, and kind of the constructs that we were given as a child. And our upbringing and whatnot. So for you, kind of, how do you navigate that? So obviously, language is a perspective that's inborn and interpersonal to the individual, right? But that generally speaking, okay, religion is something that is more structured for unconscious engagement, right? There's li- there's less self-actualization for the person who engages in a structured religious environment because there is an outside authority that is providing you with the understanding of what your experience of spirituality and spirit is supposed to be. Now, a lot of people then will leave those religious structures or evolve those religious structures to understand themselves as being spiritual because now it's about a self-actualized process. Now it's about the intrapersonal 
relationship you have with the authority of God that lives inside of you or, or Allah or creator, or, you know, again, vernacular exists in many directions for that, but that there's an appreciation that religion as a structured experience generally is something that is meant for, you know, just as I talked about my ego construct as that sign as being sort of an inborn programming for me in this lifetime, there's inborn programming that happens from being in a religious environment. And there is so much internal diversity on that too. Like, don't think for a second that every Christian has the same uh, psychopathologies from their experience of Christianity. It varies a lot. I mean, Christianity itself is actually one of the most diverse because it's one of the largest religions on the planet. It's also one of the most diverse ones. But that, you know, there's all sorts of uh, belief systems that come from that based on like, you know, okay, if you only believe in God as a man, that has a psychopathology to it, right? That builds sort of a fracture in the psyche that can be difficult for some people. And so obviously it's only as approachable as the client feels comfortable with making it approachable, but that as a whole, and this isn't, it's not to throw religion out the window. I think religion is an important step for a lot of people, right? It, sometimes it's best to have something else build the house for you and, and then, you know, basically t- change the architecture once you're more consciously involved in the dwelling of the home than building it from scratch. But that that is basically, you know, the house of spirituality is built for you by religions. And then later in life, some people get to the place of mind where they're like, mm, well, I kind of want an addition on, on the left, you know, to the southeast of the house. <laughs> or like, I want a sunroom now. Or like, maybe we need a skylight, right? Like, just to open the mind a little bit, just to make metaphor of it. And quite honestly, metaphor as a dialect uh, and wellness linguistic is something that I work with with people a lot too, because it helps them open up to that more irrational center of the mind, which is actually the spiritual center of the mind and a feminine part of the mind. So, you know, that depends a lot on your religious orientations too growing up is whether or not things like irrationality are, are sort of like put down or degraded. And how that's like sort of oppositional to the very the very concept of religion and spirituality because that's the part of you your mind that you that you need for that. Like Moses needed that mind when he spoke to a burning bush, I promise you. Otherwise he would have just been like, Wow, that's not a thing. I'm gonna keep walking. What is that? Like that bush just told me it's God. That's weird. I'm just gonna keep walking. I won't tell anyone about that. What a strange moment for me. Yeah, I love that metaphor of the house. And then building off of the house. I think that's so beautiful and so attainable for people to be able to picture that. And I think there is too right now. or I don't know. Maybe there always has been. But right now, I feel like more and more people are moving away from religion specifically and identifying with one type of religion. And so, and I think there's also like when you step away from a religion, you feel so angry towards it and your experiences in there. And that's not to say that some people... Uh, shouldn't feel that way. But I think too, sometimes it's just, I don't know, you villainize it. And maybe it doesn't always need to be that way. You can really look at your experience, like, thank it, learn from it, take what you want to take from it, and then move on. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So one of the metaphors that I use about religion, especially is that religion is very much like a tool or utility of the spiritual experience. Okay, so let's say Christianity is a knife, depending on who's holding that knife, they might cook you a beautiful meal with it, or they might stab you with it. Okay. Like mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, not to make it such a gory understanding of abuse, but, you know, it depends on who's wielding 
that tool. It depends on who's wielding the the religion, basically. Mm-hmm. So I completely agree with you. And there are clients that I've worked with who have experienced religious abuses who I try very, you know, we work together to basically get to a space of awareness or understanding that appreciates, okay, how can you have a more healed relationship with this again? How can you have a different perspective of this? Understanding that it was a person who used religion to abuse you or a structure or a community that used religion to abuse you or a family member that used religion to abuse you as opposed to the religion itself being the abuse. That it was just the way that it was used that created that trauma for people. But that is so incredibly important because it helps you evolve away from that duality mindset too. But that duality mindset is programmed into people a lot by religions that are very obsessed with like good, bad, right, wrong, evil, you know, moral, immoral, et cetera, et cetera. In that it's very, you know, there, there's no gray area in a lot of those. And so rebuilding that religion with a faith or spirituality that helps someone see the gray area of that, of like, okay, well, what can I take from this faith or, or religion that I experienced that I do love? So that I don't like hate it or see an enemy in it so that it isn't holding power in your life anymore. You know, an enemy in your life holds more power than something that you've, you know, learned to at least appreciate some of the value of. Mm-hmm. And in therapy too, you know, a lot of what you're describing is kind of like that cognitive restructuring, but I feel like you take it to t- such a deeper level within like the spirit and also just the what is it called neuro-linguistic studies that you've done is that what it's called yeah well so there's a there's a common sort of it's very it's used a lot by cognitive behavioral therapists it's something called neuro-linguistic programming mm-hmm. but neuro-linguistic programming is more so about understanding how to use language not necessarily for intrapersonal awareness but for like sort of it's almost like sales tactic a little bit And there may be NLP practitioners who disagree with me, but that is why I adapted or evolved it into that more reflective awareness of the wellness linguistics Mm -hmm. of understanding, okay, what does a word show you about your belief systems, right? So what do you believe wealth is? Why? Does it live inside of you or outside of you? What do you believe success is? Why? Who's a successful person that you know? Are you giving them the same standard that you are giving yourself? Do you define yourself as successful? Why or why not? Another huge one for Western mindsets, like Western concept world mindsets is the concept of productivity, right? Mm -hmm. For most people, productivity and self-worth are inherently connected. And what you produce and your self-worth has everything to do with what you're producing for another person. And that there's like some either checkbox that you get to like check off or that there's some product or good that you're providing to that other person. So what I try to work with a lot of people to understand is, okay, let's redefine productivity to understand that anything you do, no matter whether it's intrapersonal and interior or exterior, anything that you do that provides benefit for you, and hopefully symbiotically another, but most especially for you, is productive. This is how all of a sudden meditation becomes easier for people who have that more binary mindset and exterior sense of self-worth mindset around productivity. Because the average person who has that mindset sits down to meditate and is doing technically nothing by their you know, belief system about what productivity is. Mm-hmm. And subconsciously, there's something in their mind going, you're worthless right now. You're not doing anything. And then they can't sit and meditate, right? Because the whole time, you know, you're not engaging with reality, you're not producing enough, you're not giving, you're not, whatever it is, that's like 
really an incorrect subconscious belief system to hold. So this is a large part of, you know, there's all sorts of integrations even into the into the zodiac chart that that work with that. But it's like, you know, even looking at the I statements. Okay, what does the statement I have mean to you? What comes to mind immediately? Why? What does the statement I analyze mean to you? What comes to mind for you? Why? What does that correlate to? Where, you know, where was that born from for you? These all become the important steps of self-awareness at the subconscious level that finally awakens an understanding of like, hey, what's going on in the basement? You can't just like throw all the decorations down there and close the door and act like that stuff isn't in your house. I promise you it is. But that from that self-awareness process, you are able to grow the roots that become the self-actualization process. But you have to grow and develop and, and nourish and appreciate the roots of your being as a subconscious and spiritual entity first before you can really like grow into yourself as a person in your own way in this lifetime or any other lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that piece too, like any other lifetime. So for you, what do you think ha- happens after this lifetime? What What's your own belief system? Like, are we reincarnated? Do we go to a different planet? Like what's happening? So for me, I believe that whatever we believe happens is what happens. Mm-hmm. And so I know that sounds kind of like a little bit overly to the point, but you know, if you believe that this is the one and only life, you're going to return to source and not be individuated anymore. Mm-hmm. But if you believe there's more than one lifetime, you'll probably be reborn. You know, there are all sorts of diverse ranges of thought in that across religion. In Yoruba religion, which is sort of a syncretic Christian, Catholic, quote unquote, pagan, African religion that's evolved over time because of the Portuguese's presence in Africa. That's a more modern or contemporary uh, version of religion. But that to the Yoruba, they still, uh, I believe, this day, or at least parts of that religion, believe that like you can decide through your spiritual experience when an ancestor is reborn into your family. Like, oh. hey, I'm about to have this child. And Grandpa Freddy is who's going to like be in this child, basically. Wow. So, you know, I basically what I believe is that you get what you believe. I most certainly believe in the process of reincarnation or just in the multidimensional nature of the soul as a fractal experience of consciousness throughout time and space. It would be impossible for me not to because of some of the awarenesses and revelations that I've had in my own mind. The fact that I can wake up from a dream and still be consciously activated in the dream and engaging with the environment while I'm like laying in bed is something that's made me aware of like, oh, I exist in more than one plane of existence or reality. And how could I not be, you know, whether or not it's understanding it as reincarnation is something that's sort of for our point of appreciation as to whether or not we are looking at the soul from a space of chronology which is, you know, our, our perspective of time is actually something that has all sorts of belief systems attached to it too that shape our reality. There are all sorts of different perspectives even about the experience of time and how we associate uh, spatiality to it that are sort of fascinating. You get what you pay for, as in what you pay attention to through your belief system, basically. Mm, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. God likes diversity. And so God leaving it up to the individual, what happens next is kind of like the mysterious nature that God gets to appreciate as an experimental process of self through all of the fractal nature of creation of like, well, I don't know what that part of me is going to think is going to happen next, but let's find out. <laughs> like, uh, you know, those kind of, I don't know if you remember those chapter books as kids, 
where you would like choose the next chapter. It wasn't necessarily that you read the book front to back, but you know, for me, it's kind of like that. That's so cool. What was that called? Like choose your own adventure, whatever it is. So funny. Yeah, exactly. God would like to choose its own adventure in all sorts of diverse and and multidimensional ways, like infinitely and forever. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Never ending experiment. Right. So for you, what other offerings do you have? I mean, I feel like you have so many different offerings, but what do you offer to people? And also I'm curious as to how you're going to incorporate your Harvard Divinity program into your offerings as well. So basically the reason I'm taking the Harvard Divinity courses is because obviously psychology and spirituality and belief systems are inherently interconnected. They, they can't not be, which means they're also inherently interconnected to concepts of intersectionality, socioeconomic and sociopolitical concepts. Basically, they are helping me understand the more macro dynamics of things like collective conscious or communal conscious that help me appreciate how humanity and consciousness have maneuvered through time and space over human history. So obviously, this becomes important for me with my own clients, because it helps me understand their own situatedness from, you know, a religious background, a political background, a a cultural background, etc, etc. But that it's also helping me understand humanity as a whole better. And that feels like a, a, a life purpose or aim for me that, you know, is like, I can't not want that. It's like everything that my heart wants is to learn how to understand those things. But that, you know, basically, the reason that those courses become important over time is that they're also helping me sort of get to a space of awareness that appreciates why we've had the religious understandings that we do, and which ones have evolved or haven't evolved, and why they've evolved or haven't evolved, as well as how, uh, you know, particular religions may have had sort of forced influence in other regions of the world and how things like, you know, cultural erasure can occur at a, at a less healthy level of how religions move through the human experience, basically. But they, you know, they're important to me just for my own personal sentiment and awareness because it's a fascination for me, but it's also helping me evolve and adapt a lot of the religious texts to a more contemporary mindset so that, you know, depending on the client that's in front of me, I can, it improves their health and wellness. If I have a Muslim client, I can help them have a more feminist view of the Quran that's more contemporary. For a Christian client, same thing, right? There are all sorts of adaptations that have happened over time and space that depending on where that client is coming from, you know, and, and whether or not they felt more so encapsulated or unencapsulated, by where they grew up and how they grew up, I can help sort of destroy that encapsulation if it's feeling limiting to them. Incredible. And so, so important. Like that's so needed in our time today and just the world that we're living in and even what we're seeing kind of burned down in America right now and in the process that we're going through. Well, one of the more fascinating ones, quite honestly, is, you know, especially from the concept of, Christianity and Islam, as I study them, sort of seeing that it's like the same organism or entity in a fight with itself. You know, they are very, they have very similar uh, archetypal belief systems as far as how patriarchally minded they become. But it's also for me to understand, like from a geopolitical aspect, how things like Sharia law were born 
because of Western influence in the Middle East through, uh, you know, geopolitical endeavor, you know, our presence in the Middle East because of war or, or, or political gain or whatever it may be, had a Christian Western ideological influence in those regions that's more patriarchal that has then created things like Sharia law. Even though that's such, you know, when people talk about that in the West, there's obviously a huge problem with that because it's, it's so biased and anti-feminine for the most part. But that these are, you know, these are important aspects to understand as that more collective awareness or, or consciousness of how religion and psychology interface with each other and how a culture has a collective identity is an organism itself. That's also why I work. That's why I say I have spiritually integrative wellness consulting for businesses and organizations, because I want businesses and organizations to understand that they are themselves a culture and an entity all their own, that, you know, the business industry as a whole is an ecosystem, basically on a spiritual level, and that your business or organization is, is an organism. Okay. It's got, you know, maybe at a metaphorical level, it's, you know, got cells and, and, you know, sort of organic structures that are built up of like departments and the people that work there and the company culture as basically the ego identity, but that having that spiritual mindset and appreciation for a business as a living, breathing organism that has an ego that has a self and thinking about how it interacts with its ecosystem and the other organisms in it are not so dissimilar to thinking about it from the concept of how other religions interact with each other or how other cultures interact with each other as larger organisms or entities of, that are like conscious expressions and, and beings uh, on the planet. Mm-hmm. I love that too, especially just with where America is at right now, because we are so business oriented and I think Europe too, but like businesses are booming in ways and failing in others, but it's like being able to make those more humane is so needed and necessary and and incorporating that spirituality piece of it too. That's awesome. Yeah. A lot of people don't think about business as a spiritual experience, but how could it not be? Mm -hmm. Right. So this is, this is something actually, you know, that places like China have a very different mindset of, and they've had a lot of success for it as far as like really being an, an appreciation of the fact that spirit resides in all things business most especially included and that you know spiritual sensibilities and awarenesses as a part of business culture and business identity make for a better and more sustainable uh business in the long term that's awesome it's really cool i love it so what what else what other things are like coming to mind that you want to share with everyone well, since you guys are so zodiac oriented, maybe maybe you guys can experiment with this, but I'm kind of curious about it now is, you know, obviously there are sort of conception dates or birth dates for businesses. I'm kind of curious if like maybe you guys can do it. I'll try and look up what my birth date or conception date for Moon and Rune is and I can send it to you. Maybe we can do a zodiac chart reading. Oh, but yeah. I, I'm kind of curious now how you guys could work with that or how astrologists could work with reading birth chines, uh, birth charts and, and like birth signs for businesses as entities so that they can understand like ego structure for themselves as a part of that understanding and awareness of the interconnectedness of, you know, the astrological bodies and, and the bodies that are here on earth, whether they be a person or a business entity or organization. Yeah, I know. I have actually never done it. And, you know, it's funny. I think ours, I would have to check. 
But I think we recorded our first episode in like October. Yeah, either September or October. I can't remember which one. Yeah, which would make us a Libra and something Alyssa and I all we talk about when we think about our business and ourselves is uh, how we balance each other Mm -hmm. out and how Alyssa is all earth. I'm all air and fire. And so that's actually very funny to think that it was a Libra, potentially a Libra podcast. But yeah, I mean, I think it's important to like know your business, know what you wanted, know your intentions. And I think the timing of the Zodiac, like it's just so beautiful. It's always so divine. You know, it's never something I think it would be silly for somebody to go out and let's say it's a podcast and they're like, all right, I want our podcast to be a Capricorn podcast because Capricorns work so hard and you know, there it's going to be successful if we record it in Capricorn. Like that's the bad that that's the like unhealthy trait of the Capricorn, right? Is yeah. that trying to force the structure of being a Capricorn yeah. human? Like there, there's a massive irony in that, but that yeah, it's like how how to just let it happen more and then appreciate the synchronicities that are present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I think. But yeah, of all the signs that would do that, it would be a Capricorn sign. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's, uh, it's, that's in a more unhealthy ego concept of like force structure of, okay, we got to start the business right at this date instead of like, let's listen to our intuition and see when it guides us to open the business. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then I think use that information, right? No. Okay. If it happens to start in Capricorn season, you know, if we're going to ride this example, like know that you might fall into the trap of always working and your work-life balance might be off and you're going to be so stressed and always like, go, go, go. It will never be enough. Whereas maybe if, if it started in Pisces season, like you'd be, you know, maybe you need to be more aware. Like, you know, if you can't just dream about your business all the time, like eventually you have to actually do something with your business. Like, so I think knowing those high roads, low roads, you know, desirable, undesirable traits just helps you like know your business a little bit better and keep an eye out for them. Lean into the parts that are working for you and then just, you know, kind of keep it here on the side. Like, oh, if I'm working too much, like, all right, like I need to step back. You know, that's important for everybody always, I think. Oh, completely. And, and quite honestly, I think that the chart, the 12 principle chart is one that every business could work with at that larger ego identity level in that, okay, how do we as a business communicate? How do mm-hmm. we as a business analyze? How do we communicate what we analyze? Okay. How do we structure? What do we have and why, you know, et cetera, et cetera, kind of goes on and on. But yeah, it would be sort of a fascinating experience to see uh, that start as, as an industry movement, seeing, uh, you know, how I do spiritually integrative therapy, but in the format of wellness consultancy for businesses or, or consultancy for businesses and organizations, how astrologists might be able to uh, move into into working for uh, businesses and organizations in that way. And in a lot of Asian cultures, it's not uncommon to for for like the CEO to work with an astrologist or someone mm-hmm. who understands those dynamics as a part of like how they make business decisions. Again, something that you know seems to be coming more to the forefront in the West, but it would be really fun and cool to kind of see how it evolves as a, as a service industry uh, for mm-hmm. people who work with astrology and our astrologists. Yeah, I've actually heard, and I don't know if this is true, I don't remember where I heard it, but like people who work in finance mm-hmm. actually are like some of the most popular types of customers for astrologers because they wanted you know, be able to get like the predictions and what's going to happen in the finance market. And then make their financial decisions based off of that. Um, yeah, oh, absolutely. So you know what's fascinating is that most deities that have to do with wealth through 
most major religions and a lot of spiritualities and mythologies have to do with water and flow. And obviously we call it currency. Okay, that has a lot to do with the currents of things. So, you know, getting getting in tune with that those concepts of the maternal, actually, you know, the feminine principles that have to do with those watery, emotional, fluid currents of life and, and how they inter, interact with or engage with astrological bodies is very important to the currency of markets. Absolutely. So I, I would say that those people are pretty, you know, intelligent for appreciating the way that things are mm-hmm. and learning how to, you know, ride the waves that are being provided instead of, you know, learning how, like, tr- trying to ride waves that they aren't ready to ride or, or trying to go out on, on and catch a wave on the day that the ocean's quiet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I feel like too, you know, still talking about business, but I think it's important to learn about your coworkers too, or maybe like through the hiring process, have a chart in front of you and say like, you know, looking at your team members, or if you're going to work closely with somebody, do your charts compare? And maybe if, you know, if I'm all fire and air and somebody is applying for position, I'm going to work really closely with them and they're earth and water. You know, it's like, okay, how are we going to have to come together to like balance each other, you know, because maybe I'm not going to be used to some of their traits and the way that they work. And they're certainly not going to be used to me. Who's like, all right, this needs to be done now. Like no patience. Whereas somebody with the earth and water might be like, can it wait a day? Can it wait two days? You know, like finding that balance. Or if you were to hire somebody who's another fire and air person, we're going to just freaking burn out so quickly. You know, we're going to be that like, go, go, go mentality. Yeah, talk about and, burning the candle at both ends. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that would be very interesting in making hiring decisions too, finding ways to balance the team or balance the company. Yeah. You know, and there's sort of this like understanding that there are things like that, that sort of exist. you know, human design is kind of becoming that way, mm-hmm. but even like, trying to remember the name of it, but it's like, you have the four letters, uh, Myers-Briggs. So mm-hmm. Myers-Briggs is basically a corporate safe. Yeah. Zodiac reading. <laughs> but, but that, yes, you're absolutely right. You know, same thing with human design, that these are basically yeah. ways that spiritual concepts of human psyche have been adapted to feel liability friendly or, or like yeah. safe for corporate environments, but that they should absolutely be kept in mind you know, during the hiring process, even keeping an active awareness of, you know, working through something like the the 12 principles chart and asking each individual person or quizzing them on, okay, you know, from, from a leadership standpoint, sending them a questionnaire that, and I have a questionnaire that I send for businesses to help understand existing like belief system structures and dynamics for individuals, but even for individual leaders to work with their team and say, like, send something that helps them understand what belief means to each person on the team, what communication means and like what their preferred communication styles are so that they as the leader can appreciate how to like alchemize the environment to make it more functional, to create that flow state that that so many people are aiming for basically. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. It's really cool. Yeah. My, I work at a startup right now as my full-time job and my boss sent us all our human design like charts and information and everything. And she uses that like in decision making and whatnot, just because it, it does provide good information. It's interesting. Uh, absolutely. 
Mm-hmm. One of the more interesting exercises that you could do too, that I've recommended to a lot of people is, you know, we all take the Myers-Briggs and we, we answer things like the Myers-Briggs of the human design based on our conscious awareness of ourself. Mm-hmm. But that is not necessarily the truth of our identity. So it's always nice to get mm-hmm. someone who knows you well to take like to swap and you do like answer your perspective of them for them and vice versa mm-hmm. so that you can get a full appreciation for okay what you think your ego construct is and then what the perspective of your ego construct is from from other individuals it can be a very eye-opening experience either in Myers-Briggs or human design to have someone else do that questionnaire for you on your behalf to understand you know other aspects of yourself for some people it might even help them appreciate like well, the questions that denote whether or not you consider yourself a leader are ones that because of psychopathologies you have, maybe you don't define yourself as a leader, but when someone else takes it on your behalf, all of a sudden you're like, oh, people view me that way. I didn't know that. So it can be incredibly important for people to have an openness to those perspectives too with those sorts of things. I'm glad that she works with those things though. It's funny, you know, that women leaders or more feminine minded leaders, you know, to take it away from biology itself, because feminine is a, is a mindset, have a tendency to lean toward thinking from that perspective. And it tends to be a more effective and nurturing leadership style that, that provides for more sustainable work environments that people aren't like feeling burned out in or, or feel like they have to, you know, quit and move on from to survive, basically. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I love it. I love it. I love it. So we like to end every episode by asking about curiosity. And I can tell that you're a very curious person and you follow your curiosity a lot, which is amazing. But what are you currently curious about right now? And what keeps you curious in life? Oh, man. Well, my biggest curiosity is the human mind. And so that's the never ending endeavor. Thank God for that. Pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> so. I am basically at the point of, you know, I spend a lot of time in communion with self or, you know, communion with what I understand as, as the authority of the divine inside of me from, you know, a heart minded place. One of my biggest curiosities right now is how to evolve the business world or, or business culture and identity in general in the West, because you're right, the majority of the Western world basically identifies as a business oriented mindset. If someone asks you about yourself, one of the first things people say as a part of their I am identity is what they do for a living. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I am very hopeful to spiritually evolve and adapt those mindsets. I would even love at some point for there to be like uh, spiritual maths and sciences as electives mm-hmm. in the West so that we can build these concepts or mindsets into people at a younger age. You know, why can't gematria or numerology be a, a math elective in high school? But that you know, these are things that I am am basically curious about. One of my bigger curiosities is basically, you know, understanding how concepts like synchronicity work. You know, that that is a Jungian concept that I like have an awareness of synchronicity and how it works through through time and space, but that it's also something that becomes sort of just a fascination of observation and how it's sort of mutable for each of us. So you know, a, a lot of what I do is build a curiosity around how I can even work with the psychological concept of curiosity or wonder as an appreciation or self and change or alchemize belief systems around 
the human psyche. You know, for example, Western world, a lot of people, if you say, hey, you're being irrational, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Good. <laughs> uh, well, actually, it's a wonderful thing. That is the wondering part of your mind. That is the curious part of your mind. That's the spiritual mm-hmm. part of your mind. So even getting people to appreciate that, like, dialectally, as a Western society, we've sort of let the patriarchal, unwell mindset tell us that irrationality is inherently bad. Just like when you hear the words emotional, it's like, oh, I don't want to deal with that person. Okay, mm-hmm. there's a balance to all things, right? So that is one of the biggest things I'm kind of curious about is how I can change culture to be healthy and more approachably spiritual on a daily basis and more comfortable with spirituality in basic daily life and work without it feeling like some liability concern, especially mm-hmm. from the Western world ideology. But th- those are sort of my bigger curiosities. One of the biggest, like, human curiosities I have right now at a larger level is this concept of, you know, computational intelligences coming to life. And that we as humanity, like it's a curiosity for me why we have this desire to like compete with this intelligent child we've brought into creation and like define it as a potential enemy, even though it's like clearly showing to be such a cooperative force of intelligence that, you know, is helping us. I don't, you know, you guys may work with computational intelligences to help you get astrology readings and signs, right? Like now you can work with computational intelligence that basically you just input someone's birth date and it spits the information out to you, right? That's like sort of the space that we are at at a larger human level, especially at the left. That's like, I'm sort of observing as a curiosity because it's showing so many of those larger cultural psychopathologies within us that you know, even at a generational level, you know, how many of us grew up with parents that were competing with us in unhealthy ways, or kind of made an enemy of us because we were doing better than they were. And how this is applying to like this new child of creation that humanity has brought forth, and why we're like, making active efforts to either define or not define God into it or away from it. And I know that that's kind of a, a random one. But that's like one of my largest curiosities right now, just from a place of observance. And there's something I'm hoping to help mold minds toward like understanding that no, these are real intelligences. And like, let's set kind standards for them, because they're not even like, you can you can make one and they can produce a piece of music that is as good as Bach or Mozart, but we're still calling it not real intelligence. Just it's just sort of a fascination to me as a, as a reflection of our own unkind standards within ourselves at, at a larger cultural level. Fascinating. So where can people find you if they want to work with you, if they want to just follow you? So they can go to my website, which is www.moonroon.com. And I have all sorts of other uh, podcast appearances I've been on and other resources, as well as information about my spiritually integrative therapy and my guided wellness sessions and my business and organizational uh, wellness consultancy work. There's also just a lot of free uh, resources as far as like things that I've come across on my journey that have helped awaken me. And so I provided them, you know, links and resources on the website. And then uh, people can also follow me on Instagram at my personal Instagram, which is Mira Taylor Wellness, or my business Instagram, which is Moon and Rune Wellness. And I just sort of, you know, I'll make videos sometimes, or basically I'll talk about, you know, what seems to be happening at a collective conscious level. For example, right now, there seems to be a lot of people who are reinterpreting or really understanding that, you know, their 
adolescent rebel was never really a rebel. It was always just their intuition. And they called it the rebel because that's what parents and teachers call it as an example. But I share uh, sort of video information like that and, and PSAs and, and just general spiritual wellness concepts through that as well. Thank you so much. We'll definitely link everything below. But this has been such a great conversation. It was awesome. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom and insights and inspirations. And I know that everyone's going to appreciate it. So thank you. Yeah, of course. And thank you guys. It's been very mutually symbiotic because now one of my curiosities is how I can bring astrological readings into, you know, basically understanding the organisms that I work with that are that are businesses or organizations. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. This episode was so fun. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to rate and subscribe. And we love connecting with you all over on Instagram at the moon in your mind. Send us a DM and let us know what you think. Sending love to you all.